Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to the show today. My guest is Jack Malcolm, president of the Falcon Performance Group, and also the author of two great books, Bottom Line Selling and Strategic Sales Presentation. He's a speaker, sales thought leader, author, trainer. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be on. So take a minute, introduce yourself. I mean, I already gave a little bit of a summary, but you know, tell us what you do and who you do it for. Andy, my main work is in sales training, consulting, and coaching for the B2B complex sale. So my clients are large Fortune 500 companies that, that have sales forces, can be anywhere nationally and even internationally. It seems like you're spending a lot of your time these days, at least looking at your website and your reading, uh, your blog, and so on, about effective communications, persuasive communications. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting how my, my, my journey has, has transpired. I've been involved in sales training now for 24 years, going on 19 years with my own company. And about 10 years ago, a client who had been a student in one of my sales training classes about 10 years prior to that called me up and asked me to do some communications training for his team of engineers. And, and I told him I didn't do that. I don't work with engineers and I don't teach communications. And he said, well, you communicate pretty well, so just teach him what you do. <laughs> so being one of those folks that will, will do things, will try to be responsive to clients if the remuneration is there, which is a fancy way of saying, if you've got the money, I'll, I'll figure it out. I, I said, okay, I'll do it. And as a result, that's turned into being a larger and larger part of my work. And so what was really the, I mean, so now that you've gotten into it, I mean, what have you seen as sort of the, you know, the problems, the communication problems that companies are having that, that you're addressing? Well, the biggest communication problem that, that people have is that they, they don't think about the listener or the target or the client, whoever, whoever you want to call that person. They don't think about the, the other person's needs. They don't think about how the other person is receiving the information. They're so intent on getting their point of view across or getting out what's in their head that they don't pay enough attention to how's it being received. And every communication has two sides of it, a transmission and a reception. And if you're not paying attention to reception first, 
then I don't care how good a speaker you are, it's, it's just not going to work out as well as it could. Yeah, I have this quote I have in one of my latest books about uh, John Steinbeck saying that uh, people really only want to hear stories about themselves or things they're interested in, right? And if it's not, about, it's not about them, then they don't listen. One of one of my, my my favorite things that I like to do in my classes in my classes is is I will ask people how many of them have kids and most people will raise their hands and I'll say how many of you like to talk about your kids and almost everybody raises their hands and then I say how many of you like to hear other people talk about their kids and just about every hand goes down. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. I'm gonna have to remember that one. Yeah. So. This is not just about external. I mean, external communications with clients and customers and so on. I mean, this has as much to do with internal communications. I mean, I, one of the things I, as you know, I focus on is is time. You know, how do we compress the time right. to make things happen? Is and communication is such an important part of that. Right. Exactly. And I, I've been focusing lately on what I call lean communication, and it's it's all about using lean manufacturing principles and applying it to the communication process. And what you want to do, and, and this ties in very much with what you say in your book, is deliver as much value with as little waste as possible. Mm -hmm. So and, give, us an ex give us an example that, that of how requires, that works. Well, the, the, the way that works is that if, if somebody asks you a question, for example, give them the answer and then give them additional detail if they need it. The problem with most people is that they want to apply so much context before they give the answer that, that people get lost. And, and that was actually the, the triggering event when, when my first client called that said he needed help with the engineers. Is, is I asked him, what, what's the major problem you face? He says, when I ask them what time it is, they want to tell me how to build the entire watch before they even give me the answer, if they even get to that. Interesting. So why do you think that is? I mean, it's... It seems sort of almost, I don't know, contrary to what you sort of experience oftentimes with salespeople is that they oftentimes don't know enough about their product or service really to be even that useful to the customer. So what are they talking about if, if they don't have the specific domain expertise? Well, well, and, and that's, that's the problem is, is salespeople generally have the expertise on their own product or service, but they don't know how to connect it to what the client needs. And my, my favorite two words of all, I'm, I'm actually fairly well known for this among my clients, I'm the so what guy. Right. And basically I tell people if you take a, a green magic marker and mark on the palm of your left hand, so what? And when you find yourself talking to the client, just look down and remind yourself that the client wants to know, what does this mean to me? Mm -hmm. And why should I care? Mm -hmm. I remember one of my first sales training classes, uh, one of the exercises we had actually was the give a presentation to the group and they were all trained if we were you know talking about something that wasn't relevant if we gave a factual statement without a follow-on benefit or associated benefit statement is that all shout out so what <laughs> and, and I, you, I think that's that's the most valuable exercise you can give anybody right i mean you learn very quickly that you you know if you just have sort of mindless recitation of facts that you're just gonna be drowned out by so what exactly well, that's a good exercise for people to remember is to write you know do write it on your hands. I mean, if you're going mm -hmm. into a sales call, is or, to or even yourself. better, yeah, even better, prepare before that call so that you don't even have to ask the question, and they don't have to ask the question. Well, which brings up an interesting point: is is 
and this is really important for the audience to remember is is it's always I think it's always beneficial for especially if it's like a first call on a new new prospect or something is practice with your peers and your colleagues in your office what you're going to say and the questions you're going to pose before going out and talking to the customer get that feedback preparation and practice absolutely critical so is there a way for um you know, a salesperson to self-assess or for a manager to assess the effectiveness of their communications? I mean, other than obviously the numbers aren't coming in or, you know, business isn't happening the way you want. But, you know, a specific case, if you're evaluating individuals, how do you go about that process? There, there's a, two ways to do it, and it's, both of them are painful for the person doing it. One is to ask people that you trust and ask them to be absolutely honest with you and ask them how you come across. That can be really painful to do. Second is videotape yourself giving a presentation and go back and watch it. And many times you will spot things that other people either won't spot or won't tell you about. And the tools are there to make it very easy to do that today. I mean, you can sure they are. record yourself off your laptop, for goodness sakes. Sure they are. And, and people have to realize that sales is very much like athletics, except most of our practice as salespeople is done during a game. We're actually doing it in front of clients. And if we can take some of that practice beforehand and refine that, it's not going to cost us money when we're in front of the client. Oh, I think it's a good point. I was just talking about that with a client yesterday is that, you know, they talk about how, oh, God, my salespeople get so much repetition because they're making so many calls. But as mm-hmm. you said, they're doing it in game time, right? As opposed to practicing beforehand. And they had no practice time built into their process at all for uh, any of their salespeople to practice their even their initial call scripting or anything they'd put together. Right, and, to... and here's the problem with all that practice that you get in front of clients is if, if, if you go back and look at some of the literature about they, they claim that it takes 10,000 hours of, of practice to right. become an expert at something. What most people don't realize, it's not 10,000 hours of practice, it's 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. And that's a, a real key difference because you can practice the same thing 10,000 times and you may get one hour practice 10,000 times. If you're doing it wrong, you're not going to know. Right. Deliberate practice is deliberately working on your limits, figuring out what works, and then getting immediate feedback on that. And the problem is when you're in front of a client, if the client doesn't call you back, you have that, sure, that's feedback that your your communication was probably lacking somehow, but what you're not getting is specific feedback as to what it was that you said or didn't say or how you said it that made the difference. And so in your research with communications, and let's start with internal communications even, is that yeah, you know, there's a lot to do with with um, you know effective management and effective leadership through trust building, and right. a lot of that trust derives from how you communicate. And you know, what are some of the shortcomings you see oftentimes with managers and their internal communications? Probably, the the major shortcoming that that I see is once again going back to the the fact that people are not being other focused enough. I call it outside in thinking, especially as you rise through the management ranks. And research has shown that the more power people have, 
the more they view other people instrumentally. In other words, how can I use this person? What can I get out of this person? Hmm. Interesting. So they're not when you're at a at a lower level and you're communicating upwards, you're much more focused and self-aware as to how you're coming across. As you move up, you become less self-aware because you don't care as much. <laughs> so and that's when you should be caring. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. I'm thinking about the dynamics, let's say, of, of even communicating within a family, right? I mean, do are kids more sensitive to how their message is received by the parents versus the way the parents are concerned about how their message is received by the kids? I'm not a child psychologist, so I, I don't know the answer to that. But I, I do believe that kids are very conscious of everything their parents do or say, even when you don't don't think they're watching. So you, you never know. I, I, my, my mother was babysitting my son when he was about two years old and, and somebody drove down the street really fast and my son yelled out a cuss word. <laughs> and my mother was very quick to remind me of that. And, and I said, I have no idea where he learned that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think we all, sure. have, we all have stories like that, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, kids are always listening to everything that's going on around them. They, they are. And, and actually... To, to be serious about it, I believe managers and leaders need to realize that everybody around them is always listening and watching. Right. Well, I think it's an important thing for, as you said, sir, the deliberate learning is to take that into the listening, is deliberate listening, right? Correct. So it's not, not just enough to ask the question, sir, of, hey, what's coming back? But if you want to be an effective salesperson, if you're asking a question of a customer, you know, you, you do present something and then you always want to you know, finish off with a question is you have to be really conscious about listening to what they're saying. And I, one of my acid tests is always, you know, ask a salesperson, do they remember the name of the prospect that they called? Yeah. Right. Cause they get in a conversation a lot of times and they forget the name of the person because they're so focused on what am I going to communicate as opposed to how am I going to interact with this person? I, I've, I've seen that a, a lot of my clients being in technical sales will have the, the salespeople or the sales engineers especially will, will have a, a either a an engineering or a science background. Mm -hmm. So they'll take they'll take the processes that I teach and they'll take that to heart because they do believe in process, but unfortunately they focus so much on the process that they don't realize what they're getting. So they'll they'll put together a list of questions and the customer will answer a very good question, but will usually supply more information than they ask for. Right. And they're so focused on getting to question number two on their sales call plan that they miss 80% of what's said. This is very common with salespeople, not just sales engineers, but salespeople as well, right? Is, is trouble with yep. being so scripted as they often are these days, especially like this whole, you know, right. burgeoning SDR market, you know, sales development rep, inside sales, everything's so heavily scripted that yeah, there's, there's, you see more of this tendency now to just sort of be so focused on, okay, I got to make sure I ask all three questions during this, you know, two minutes the prospect gives me, as opposed to reacting to what the prospect says. Yeah, the analogy that I use is, is a football play. The plays are very well scripted, but once a quarterback sees that the, the defense is reacting in a different way than expected, the quarterback either needs to make an audible or needs to do something different. And 
so I'm not against scripting at all. I'm not against sales call planning. In fact, I, I think it's it's a huge factor in salespeople's success. But people have to realize that, as, as Eisenhower said, he said, plans are nothing, but planning is everything. Exactly. Exactly. I use that quote myself, as a matter of fact. So before we go to a break, I want to pose a hypothetical scenario for you that we'll talk about when we come back. And this question I ask, okay. ask all my guests on the show is, you're a new sales manager brought into a company. The sales have somewhat stalled or stagnated and upper management's really anxious to make a change pretty quickly. So what are the two things you would do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? We'll okay. Talk, we'll talk about that when we come back. So stay with us. After the break, we'll return to chat some more with Jack Malcolm. Jack's an expert in persuasive communications as well as complex sales methodologies. And we'll talk some more about how to become a more effective communicator when we come back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So welcome back. My guest today is Jack Malcolm. Jack, so let's talk about this hypothetical scenario that we I posed right before the break. You're a new manager, a new sales manager brought into a company whose sales have stalled, stagnated, management's anxious to make a change. So there's pressure on you to make an impact quickly. So what are the two things you'd do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? First thing I would do is gather information. And now I, I realize that might sound like it's going to take too long, but I think it's you, you don't want to just jump in and start saying, this is exactly what I'm going to change and this is how we're going to do things. Even if you want to get to point B, you need to know where point A is so you can get there the best way. So I, I would go out and accompany the salespeople on calls and watch very carefully and I would I would bite my tongue regardless of what they were doing just so that I could see what's going on and and, and see what what needs to be changed second thing I would do is I would be very clear about my philosophy of adding value to customers which requires understanding the customers doing the research and being able to connect what you say to measurable business improvements for them Mm -hmm. So I would I would start getting that philosophy in place. So that would be number two. But number one is you need to watch first because before you can get to number two, you need to be able to show people based on your direct observation what they've been doing properly, what they need to do more of and what they need to do less of. Okay, great. So let's hop back to uh, communications again. So part of what you talk about as well, I presume, is you train companies on how to do sort of more formal presentations and how to make those more effective. That's part of what I do, yes. yes. So what are the, the keys? So if you're a salesperson and you've got a you know, formal stand-up presentation with a new prospect, you've qualified them, they seem like they're the right fit for what you're doing, what do they need to be focused on at that point in time in terms of putting together their presentation? Well, they need to be focused on what their specific purpose is, number one, because that purpose depends on where they are in a sales cycle. For a complex sale, every, every presentation is not going to be a closing presentation. It may be an early presentation 
just to make sure or, or, or just to get agreement from somebody in the customer's organization that there truly is a need and what that need is. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out your purpose and then you have to figure out why your customer should allow you to achieve your purpose. So the what I say it's the what and the why. And that what is you need to do X, which is either buy my product or you need to put put a team together to to review the situation. You need to put a team together to agree to a pilot. You need to put together the the requirements, et cetera, whatever it is. And this is why you need to do it. And the why requires a lot of work. The, the why might require you're losing money, your competition is beating you, there's change in your industry that you're not adapting to as quickly as you could, there are certain risks that are you, you are not taking, that that you're not either mitigating or you're not averting, and there's, there's problems or opportunities that you're either not facing or not taking advantage of. Right, and if you're not prepared, you, know, you have these opportunities to present to prospects, if you're not prepared, you're just injecting time and really the potential for losing the opportunity, right? I mean, falling behind the competitors if they're more prepared and more effectively communicate at that stage in the sales process. So what should people be focused on in terms of when they actually are presenting in front of the prospects? You know, they've got their content, they've, you know, thought about the points that you just brought up in terms of relating it to the specific outcomes they want and what the next steps and what the ask is in there. What do they really have to focus on in terms of the stand, the presentation itself at that point? Well, they, they need to focus on beginning their presentation the way they put it together and then focus, focus, focus on the audience's reactions to their questions. Once again, it goes back to the fact that if your presentation is too scripted and you're losing the audience or you're telling them things that they already know, then and if you're not paying attention to them, you're not going to know that. Mm -hmm. And you're going to sound just like everybody else. So while I believe in preparing very carefully for your presentations, it's just like a sales call plan. A presentation, if it's going well, is going to get interrupted with questions. And you want that to happen. So pay attention to the audience, especially to the decision maker in the room. And do you coach people to you know, have a certain percentage sort of questions within their presentation? You know, I know some people sort of say, hey, you know, if I'm giving a presentation, even though I'm the one presenting, I really want the balance of talk to be, you know, 60% of the talking being done by the prospect and only, you know, less than half of it being done by me, even though technically I'm the one on stage. I don't coach to specific numbers, but I do encourage people to go with the flow when, when it's appropriate. There are times that you're getting questions that are off topic. A lot of times you might have technical people in there that are asking questions that are not necessarily germane to the business reasons for why you're presenting this information or they want to make themselves look good by really trying to dig into the deepest technical point they can find. So you, there's there's got to be a delicate balance there. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly we've all been in meetings and technical sales where the technical guys show up trying to show how smart they are and sure. try, to, try to ding you with something. Um, sure. They're professional hecklers, I call them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all been in meetings with those. I mean, are there exercises that you give sales reps to use to practice their presentations? 
what I do is in, in my classes, I actually have them bring live opportunities and put together their sales presentation live. And we will present that in front of the group and we will coach it and everybody in the room coaches it. Myself, actually the, the, the presenter self-coaches first after they're done. Then I have the other people in the room will coach it and then I will coach it. And they, they have a, a video record of that to keep as well. So I encourage them to do the same thing on their own after I leave there. Yeah, I think it's really a key point, especially for, well, I was going to say, especially for small and mid-sized enterprises where, you know, perhaps you're not staffed to necessarily bring on a, a professional like yourself to help. But if you're doing this just on a sort of a routine basis, if there are important sales presentations that are scheduled, call a meeting have the sales team together, bring in sales manager, the CEO, and have the person give this presentation. If it's critical, it's crucial for the company, practice it before you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it has to be, it should be a routine that people have is, you know, think about this every time is that we've got something crucial. Let's bring the team together. Let's videotape it because, again, we can videotape it off our, we can record it off our laptop and person can have it to refer to. And do you have... Any sort of uh, rule of thumb in terms of memorization versus you know reading off the screen? I mean, how do you coach salespeople on that? I'm I'm in between. I I don't think you should memorize it because it's going to come across as too stilted and too canned. And I think you should know your your material well enough that you don't have to read it off the screen. The the problem one of the biggest problems is that PowerPoint presentations have too many words because they're being used as a crutch by the presenter. If you can get it down to just a few keywords or a few questions on the screen and then speak to it directly, what that does is it shows that you're in command of your material. And that sends a very powerful message to the customer because they don't see all the billions of dollars of assets and infrastructure behind you. All they see is you. And they are, they're making a very important decision. It may be a multi-million dollar decision based on those types of cues that will reassure them that you know what you're doing. That's a good answer. It's good for people to to pay attention to what the content is on the screen, right? That's nothing worse than going to, I mean, I was at a, a uh, conference where the paid keynote speaker, the paid keynote speaker was was reading off notes they had in their hand. They basically mimicked what was on I, the I slide. Hope, I but, hope that speaker wasn't paid too much. <laughs> well, I know. It just blew me away. It's like I couldn't, you know, so think about it from if you're a yeah. salesperson, I mean, you're not a paid speaker, but, you know, potentially they're going to be paying you for your product or service. As Jack said, is have mastery over your subject matter. Don't read right from the slide. Just use it as talking points to help prompt the questions and the points you're trying to get across. Right, right. All right, so I'm going to move into the last segment of the show here. I have some rapid-fire questions for you that you can give one-word answers to or you can elaborate if you want. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so what's the most powerful sales tool in your sales arsenal? Your brain. Who's your sales role model? Can I pass and come back to that question? Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so name the one sales tool you use yourself that you can't live without. Preparation. Okay. Do you have an app or anything that you use that uh, help you with that? I, I do not have a specific app for that other than, than my own material. I, for example, I, I have a sales call plan that I, I teach in my, my sales classes, and I use that religiously. 
perfect. Is that available in one of your books? Not, not in, not specifically in, in so many ways. No, that's available in my training. Okay. Well, we'll give people an opportunity to get in contact with you after the show. And what's the one book that every salesperson should read? Mac Hannon's Consultative Selling. What's your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call? Classic rock. Classic rock. Do you have a particular band? Well, Creedence Clearwater Revival is my favorite, but but my favorite music because by coincidence, one of my most important sales calls in my career, I was driving to to it and Radar Love from Golden Earring came on. And if, if you know that song, that gets you fired up. It got me fired up and it was one of my best sales calls ever. Uh, that's good. All yeah. right, well, put that on the list. Creedence Clearwater, I think the so far, based on the episodes we've recorded so far, is uh, Jethro Tull is actually in the lead for uh, Classic Rock. But uh, okay. what's... What's the first sales activity that you do every day? Well, the first sales activity, and, and actually I have to give you a little plug for this because when I read your book, I loved what you said about being responsive within a half hour. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, first thing I do is, is I check my email, and in the past I would have probably put off responding to some people. Maybe I wanted to gather my thoughts a little bit before responding or maybe I had some other things to do. And now the first thing I do is I try to respond as quickly as possible. And then the one of the best things, and I stole this from you in your book, is I apologize for not responding faster. Yep. And it's amazing how many times people have thanked me or commented on, on that comment. Yeah, it makes a difference, doesn't it? So yeah. well, that's great. So Jack, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Best way to get in touch with me is to go to my website, jackmalcolm.com, and that's J-A-C-K-M-A-L-C-O-L-M.com. Got all my contact information right there. Yeah, and make sure to follow Jack's blog, too. That's jackmalcolm.com forward slash blog. Uh, good read about... Uh, especially communications, uh, good stuff that's you know, such an important part of everything we do every day is you just can't stress hard enough that uh, we have to become better at it. So remember, everybody, I appreciate you joining us today. Remember to make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your sales. And I believe we helped you with that today, Jack. So uh, thanks for joining yes, and, me. And Andy, I, I believe I owe you an answer. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Which one? Okay, I'm going to give you my, there's a lot of sales role models, and I'm going to give you one that maybe a lot of people have used, but I'm going to give you Steve Jobs, and not for the reason that other people may have used him. Go ahead. And the reason, the reason I, I see Steve Jobs as a sales role model is that he was a terrible salesperson when he first started off because of his personality, because of his approach because he didn't really care about what the customer thought. He became a great salesperson, became the face of his company, and became the face of the, of the brand because he learned that it wasn't about the technology, it wasn't about the product, it was about how the product and the technology affected his customers. Oh, it's a great example. And I could, uh, having worked at Apple in the early days and having sat in some sales calls with the early Steve Jobs, um, yeah, I can attest to that that he... He really became much, much better over time. 
Yeah. So. And, and all of us, all of us can learn. All of us can get better. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's really what we're talking about. When I talk about, geez, how do we, how do we compress the time that it takes to have us help our customers make a decision? It's all about getting better at what we do, right? What's our process? How do we refine it? How do we make it better? How do we help the customer in a better fashion? Absolutely. Good. Well, again, I thank you again for joining me today and we'll look forward to talking to everybody next time. Until then, good selling, everyone. This is Andy Paul. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.